Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Both those kinds of data, interactive voice of customer data and observational data are really important. And in my view, a lot of marketing professionals are favoring the voice of customer data over the observational data. And that's not always the best thing. Well, Martha Rogers and I uh, use the term golden question to refer to an interaction with a customer that reveals a great deal of insight about the nature of the customer or his motivations or whatever, maybe his value, without subjecting the customer to a 20-question survey that only gets a 2% response. You know, a golden question is something sometimes customers enjoy answering. How honest are people? My wife and I were chatting the other day about we got a couple of friends that just seem to complain at everything, basically. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's the motivation of the complaint. Are they actually complaining because something's gone wrong? Are they complaining actually to get something out of a company, basically? Yeah, yeah, you know? So back in a number of years ago now, I was at BT and I remember we I was sitting in this audience and we were looking at buying a CRM system and this guy come called Don Pepper came on and started to present and it really struck me that this guy knows what he's talking about. So I'm really, really pleased that uh, we have Don with us today. So welcome, Don. Thank you, Colin. Glad to be here. For those of you that don't know Don, uh, he's a best-selling author, a blogger, a business strategist, and a widely acclaimed keynote speaker. If you haven't heard him speak, you need to listen to him. He's written 11 books on marketing and customer experience, and many of those with Martha Rogers. So people, if you haven't heard of Peppers and Rogers, I really don't know where you've been for the last 20 years. (laughs) And his books have been, I've read many of them. I haven't read them in the 18 languages that they've been put into, but... um, (laughs) Until you've read it in the original Turkish, Colin, I don't think you've read (laughs) Peppers and Rogers. (laughs) So long and short of it, he's really pleased that uh, Don's agreed to come on and talk about one of the, probably the most important topics around, which is customer experience measurement. So thanks very much for coming on, Don. Glad to be here, Colin. Very happy. And I know that you probably think that net promoter is the answer to the life, the universe and everything, don't you? (laughs) He said with a wry smile on his face. Well, shall I just uh, start in here? Please just jump in, mate. What's your latest thoughts on measurement? You got to think about the quality of the customer experience and why are you measuring? Are you measuring in order to see how well you've done? Are you measuring in order to budget, to establish the business case, let's say? Are you measuring to reward people who are involved in interacting with customers or dealing with them? And I think one of the important things to realize is there are two different types of metrics. There's voice of customer metrics, of which NPS, Net Promoter Score, is one of those, customer satisfaction surveys. Those are 
those are voice of customer. And that's, that's what I call interactive data. You, the customer interacts with you. You, you have a poll or a question and you get an interaction from the customer. The problem with voice of customer data, the biggest problem is it's subjective. And of course, there's no better authority on the quality of a customer experience than the customer themselves. But customers' opinions, they go up and down with the seasons and with their expectations and with the other things that are happening to them in, in their lives. Sure. Other kind of data that's also important and is being ignored a lot of times by marketing people who are eager to zero in on NPS or CSAT or something and voice of customer data, survey data. The other kind of data is observational data. Yep. It's stuff you can simply look at. You can observe happenings as a how many complaints do you get? How many items were returned? How many shipments were not on time? Quality control, things like that. There's observational data today in social media. It's not mm-hmm. what people tell you, but what are they telling their friends? How are they talking about your brand and so forth? So both those kinds of data, interactive voice of customer data and observational data are really important. And in my view, a lot of marketing professionals are favoring the voice of customer data over the observational data. And that's not always the best thing. I totally agree. Is that because it's just easier or it's been historically done that way or what, in your view? I think a couple of reasons. Number one, yes, it's easier. Number two, it's the most popular thing to do. It's the most written about stuff. It's not boring. It's uh, sure. new, different. Uh, and what could be better than actually hearing from the mouth of the customer what they're saying But I also think it's a – I don't think most marketers are very quantitative and they don't think in statistical terms. They don't think in terms of what makes good scientific data. They're not scientists. That's the problem. And if I think of the worst examples of that, I fly a lot back and forth across the pond and I always fly with Delta. And I always get a survey after any Delta flight I have, which is far too many. (laughs) And the only time I ever complete the bloody things is if I've had a particularly good flight or a particularly bad flight. So I'd be really surprised at the information that they can gather from that. Yes. Well, well, but it's important that um, let me point out that one of the important functions of a voice of customer survey is complaint discovery. And so they may not use a a survey that gets a 1% response as a gauge of average customer service, okay? But if they at least pay attention to people who complain and get back to them right away, that's a very, very important function. And so if you're giving a universal survey out, you better damn well be using it to follow up with those who gave you bad ratings because if you're not doing it, you're not getting anything out of the survey, really. I think that's a really important point about using data appropriately. Those questions that you asked, the rhetorical questions at the beginning, do you know what you want to use this data for in terms of the questions that you want to answer? And there may be data that is collected in such a way that it can't answer certain questions, but it's really great at identifying other things, right? So a survey with a very low response rate that's drawing from the tail ends of the distribution, people who have really great experiences or really terrible experiences, as you just said, it's not a good way to measure kind of the overall health of the customer experience within the organization. 
that may be really useful for other things? Do you know what those questions are? Exactly. It's use, It's very useful for discovering problems and zeroing in on them. And maybe, in a, especially in a B2B space, when you get a terrific uh, review, it may be a good way to find testimonials and so forth. Yep. Okay, very good point. So the observational stuff then, Don, you mentioned social media. Absolutely, that's a good source. What, what other sources would you recommend then to your clients? Well, I think the measure of product and service performance quality is a very important issue. And here you get into the operations of the company. This is beyond the marketing department. And so, you know, your manufacturing people, your service delivery people, they all have metrics that gauge their own quality. And marketing should be interested in those metrics because that product quality, the service quality is really key to the customer experience quality. So you're talking about things like a number of returns that they got or, I don't know, the longevity of the product or something like that. Is that right? Failure rates and other things. Let me tell you, a really good book on this, uh, for instance, uh, Cleese Fornell is a Swedish-born professor who founded the American Customer Satisfaction Institute, ACSI, and he wrote a book called The Satisfied Customer. And of course, he considers NPS a competitor, so he takes it to task in a lot of ways. You take that with a grain of salt, because I think NPS has a lot to say for it, and Cleese doesn't give it much credit. But Cleese Fornell's book is a really, really good place to start if you're thinking about where to go to get more observational data about the customer satisfaction, actual product and service quality issues. Sure, absolutely. So I'm, I'm thinking back to my time in corporate life where we would have looked at, you know, the fail times and the outage times and stuff like that in telecoms, etc. So I guess part of the challenge then is just putting all this lot together to make an overall picture. Is that right? Yeah. The problem that most marketers have, and, and maybe manufacturing engineers that have the same problem, it's, they're not statisticians, they're not analysts, uh, and they don't think carefully about some of the issues brought up. But I was consulting for a large public enterprise outside the United States a few years ago, and they were measuring their strategic NPS. Their, every right. month, they would call 400 customers at random, and on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely would you be to recommend our brand? And they used that strategic NPS as a metric of corporate performance. And they put their senior executives on a gated bonus system, where if the NPS went down, strategic NPS went down significantly, their bonuses would be canceled, or at least partly canceled. And at the end of 2013, the beginning of 2014, the strategic NPS plummeted. And all their bonuses were canceled. And they were extremely upset. So they came to me with a question, why did this happen? And I said, well, what did the strategic NPS of your competitors do? And they said, we don't measure that. Why would we measure that? We're, we're measuring ourselves. And I said, well, you don't know whether they went down also? No, we mm-hmm. don't know that. So I called up the last three years of the uh, consumer confidence figures from the financial department of the government. Okay. It was publicly available information. And I put that on a bar chart and then I put their strategic NPS on a bar chart. And guess what? They were measuring consumer confidence and consumer confidence plummeted in this country at the end of 2013. And they all got their bonuses canceled. 
and that's an example of why you always, when you're measuring interactive data with customers, it's subjective and you always have to understand what's going on in consumers' lives. If the economy is improving, they're happy with everybody. If it's not improving, they're, they're depressed with everybody. It has to be a relative metric. And that's an example, I guess, of one of the flaws that some marketers call. Yeah, no, a good example. And therefore, when you look at the social media side of things, what is there anything you're particularly looking for in the in social media? Well, in social media, you're looking for comments, both positive and negative, that mention your brand. That's all. You, you know, you're scanning for everything. You're looking for everything. Look for the mentions. Anybody who has a complaint about something that they put up on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or someplace, it's, it'd be great if you would have somebody at your company being at least reaching out to people saying, gee, sorry about your complaint, the, the issue that happened. Uh, can you tell me more detail? Uh, and, and the sooner you respond, the more credibility you have with today's always-on consumer. Sure. I mean, I know that uh, some organizations now are looking at this whole area, and you'll know from us that you know we we look at the area of customer emotions yes and i know that there are organizations and systems now that look at sentiment analysis that uh, starts to pick that up have you have you dealt in that area at all any thoughts on that type of technology i definitely have some thoughts on it i've not had the privilege of working directly with very many companies in this field but i think it's a very very promising thing it's not just text analysis but Contact centers, a really good contact center company ought to be tracking the voice sentiment. They've got thousands of hours and millions of hours of recorded conversations. This kind of analysis is going to be the wave of the future where we don't see as much rote data as we see the sort of machine learning AI based intuition almost uh, of whether a customer was really happy or not in the conversation. Sure. And Ryan, the area that has always sort of struck me as I've looked into academia is just the way that they go about measuring things. So can you see any correlation between the way that business do things and the way that academia do things to come out with sort of the real insights? Does that make sense? Yeah. For a long time, many decades, I feel like academic researchers were the more innovative in terms of coming up with new ways of measuring things. I think that's flipped though in recent years. I think that those of us in academia who are doing the basic research need to catch up with some of the tools that have been implemented on the business side in terms of using machine learning to mine text and you know, sentiment analysis and facial recognition and all this kind of stuff. There are academics who are using it, but I, I feel like we are no longer on the leading edge, um, that it's, it's firms that are actually doing this a lot more innovatively. Sure. Let Beyond Philosophy help you discover what your customers really want, not what they say they want, by uncovering the hidden drivers of value in your customer experience to create real ROI. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. I always remember reading one of your books, Don, 
you talked about, and this was some time ago, so I'm going to test your memory now. And isn't it a nightmare when people turn around to you and say, because I've only written seven, so not not to your 11, (laughs) but isn't it a nightmare when somebody says to you, do you remember in that first book on page 72? <laughs> right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. They said this. So I'm, I'm, so I remember you talking about the golden question. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I thought at yeah. the time, and I still do, I thought to myself, that's really good. Maybe you could tell people a little, a little bit about that. But I, I'm also interested in, in just going, well, how do you get there? Because, you know, it's about the questions that you're asking people at the, at the end of the day. Right. Well, Martha Rogers and I uh, use the term golden question to refer to an interaction with a customer that reveals a great deal of insight about the nature of the customer or his motivations or whatever, maybe his value, without subjecting the customer to a 20-question survey that only gets a 2% response. You know, a golden question is something sometimes customers enjoy answering. So I'll give you an example of a golden question back in the heyday of the dot-com boom. Pets.com, may they rest in peace, had a, <laughs> had a golden question that reliably identified the most valuable pet owners. And the question was not, do you love your dog or how big is your cat or whatever? The question was last year, did you give your pet a Christmas present? Mm, And some people do, some people don't, but people who gift their pets on holidays are typically the more valuable pet owners. And that's what Martha and I would call a golden question. There are a variety of questions like that, and, and they're now made possible by the insights that you get in big data. There was a book, Dataclism, written by the founder of OkCupid. He had millions of dating couples survey responses to make comparisons with. And you know what the single most predictive question was when it comes to relationship longevity? No. You can't, there's no no way to understand why this is true. But the single most predictive question was, do you enjoy horror films? All right. When both people like horror films or both people don't like them, that typically, and nobody knows why. It's just an artifact of data. The data doesn't tell you why. It just tells you that it is. And that's an example of a golden question. Or when we were helping an auto company, they wanted to come up with an owner loyalty program, and they wanted to recruit their owners, even of used cars in their brand to join the program. And they're willing to give a gift away, and they're willing to spend about $10 Rather than simply give a pair of racing gloves away with their logo on it, which is what they were considering, we suggested that there are a number of different segments of their customers you want to identify with this question. So join our owner management program and we'll give you your choice of gifts. You can have a pair of racing gloves with our logo or you can have a package of three children's videos. Okay. Or you can have a collapsible umbrella and road atlas and the gift that you choose Tells the company who you are and what oh, yeah. you want to pay. Very clever. Questions. Golden questions. Yeah, very clever. Very clever. So the, the golden questions that you described there were all constructed by the firm. So they're they're in the instance of the gift, it's a very creative survey question, but it's still kind right. of a survey question. You know, we talked about the the power of marrying survey data with observational data. 
have you identified or, or do you think that there also exists these kind of golden data points from on the observational side as well? Yeah, golden observations. I suppose yeah. there are. I haven't thought seriously about it. Do you have any ideas? It seems like there would be. They would have to be more, you'd have to be luckier in finding them instead of designing them yourself. But again, that, that would tend to fall out of the data. It may be that if you observe certain behaviors that that tells you a lot about the segment or what they value or, or something like that. Probably does. You know, if we think about it, we probably come up with an example or two, but in an era of the kind of big data that we're getting now, lots and lots of observations, it wouldn't surprise me to find stuff like that. Yeah. I think that the power for me is when you start analyzing all these things together, isn't it? Because the looking at the answers to the questions, looking at what they're doing and what people are saying and everything else. So, you know, it was, as Ryan was asking the question, I, I was thinking, and I'm just hypothesizing now, but, you know, the speed of somebody taking something back or I guess to even a certain extent, how honest are people? My wife and I were chatting the other day about, we got a couple of friends that, just seem to complain at everything, basically. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's the motivation of the complaint. Are they actually complaining because something's gone wrong? Or are they complaining actually to get something out of the company? Basically, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. there must be something that's hidden there because if you're asking a question and the person's taking the uh, the action, like as you're saying, Don, with the car example, there's got to be other behaviour that you would be able to look at that would determine what people do. Yeah. Oh, and I, I'm sure there is, but just to get to your point about the dishonest uh, customer, the, yeah, the one that complains a lot. Yeah. You know, there's no excuse for a business to get cheated by a dishonest customer more than once. I mean, they've got the data, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Right. And that couple that you talk about, uh, they probably can get away with a significant give back yeah. from any company once or twice, but they ought yeah. not to be able to get away with it over and over again. That's shame on the company. Yeah, I agree with that. In fact, I was saying to my wife that I'm sure that these companies start to keep records of who's done this and who's done that. And then when somebody genuine turns up, the danger is, as you and I are aware, that organizations then tend to put these universal bloody processes in place that penalize the 99.9% .9 of people that are honest, which is the challenge. things, Colin, that I think that we ought to talk about when we're talking about metrics is what kind of metrics can help a marketer make the business case for their marketing programs and initiatives mm. with finance people? Yeah. So what, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I think you need to think about it in economic terms. Customers create two different kinds of value with their interactions with you. One value is they buy things from you, or maybe they cost money. Those are real-time economic expenses that you book to the, in your accounts. But a customer also changes their mind about you or improves or degrades their opinion of you, and their likelihood to purchase in the future goes up or down with their current experience. If I have a really good experience, and as a result, I become more likely to 
buy from you in the future, that experience created real value. And the question is, how much value did it create? Well, you can actually think about it in terms of the customer's lifetime value. Every customer has a lifetime value, everyone. Just because you don't calculate it doesn't mean the lifetime value doesn't exist. You can still sort of do reasonable thought experiments to estimate the lifetime values of your typical customers. And and if I have a really good experience, then my lifetime value goes up. If I have a really bad experience, my lifetime value goes down. And you don't realize the cash effect of that change in my lifetime value until some later quarter when I don't come in as much or my maybe my friends don't come in or or I come in more, right? Yeah. But the value was created with the experience. And so if you as a business want to be able to make the case for delivering a better customer experience, you want to make that case to your finance people because it costs money to deliver a better customer experience. And you got to make a decision. How much money is worth how much quality, right? You should be modeling or at least hypothesizing on an active basis about what your customer lifetime values are and what are the likely leading indicators of lifetime value changes. And that's, I think, a role where you can actually marry normalized voice of customer survey data. Sure. And and frankly, while we're on the topic of universal surveys, if you want to get a real picture on your average customer experience, don't survey everybody. Survey a thousand people a month and and give them each a $20 coupon so you get an 80% response rate. And then you'll get a much more accurate survey. And if that kind of situation, your customer experience quality improves relative to your competitors, you know, in the the, uh, voice of customer tournament, then you can actually make some hypotheses about how much value, future value that actually created. Sure, sure. In the last few minutes, Don, I've got a question for you, which I didn't tell you about because I've only just thought about it. But I'd be, again, really interested in your view. You may have seen at the beginning of this year that Nunwood and Forrester uh, produced some data that basically said that in the last three years, customer experience was flatlining. So in other words, in all the surveys that they've done, I don't know if you saw the research, yeah. but in all the surveys they've done, you know, things are, in fact, Forrester used the word stagnating. You know, as someone that's been in the industry for 20 odd years, maybe more than that, I was just interested in your view as to why do you think that's, why do you think that's happening? It's bullshit. That survey is bullshit and they ought to be fined for poor statistical thinking. Right. <laughs> Customer expectations are rising because the customer experience is improving all around. Right. And the higher your expectations are, the lower your opinion is of the customer experience you so So naturally, customer expectations are keeping pace with the quality of the customer experience. A 10-year-old could understand this concept. I can't understand why these companies come out with these such idiotic surveys that try to prove points that don't exist. Right. So basically, because customer expectations is rising, then, yeah, okay, yeah, I understand that. And do you think seriously that your average customer experience buying from a vendor today is worse now than it was 10 years ago? Come on. Sure. What world do they live in? Yeah. Interesting. I I, I mean, I've thought about it from that perspective before, but 
Um, sorry, you got my opinion on that one. No, <laughs> and I like opinions. That's really good. If you were looking in the next couple of years, what what do you think is going to change? What do you think is going to be the big change? I think that uh, some of the hype around AI and machine learning is going to come off the some of the bloom is going to come off the rose, and people are going to realize that we're a long way from what most ordinary people think AI really stands for, which is like artificial consciousness. That's what most people think about when they think about uh, artificial intelligence. And I think that, I hope that as more and more data and numbers are being thrown around because of the data, I hope that marketers will begin to get a little more scientific in their decision-making. You already see a lot of Really smart A-B testing, especially among the digital marketers, there's some very, very smart statistical analyses uh, going on. But people don't think very scientifically when they're not looking at numbers, you know? Sure. I think you're right. The AI is obviously is a massive subject, but I think the classically the difference between the reality and, in fact, maybe this is a good segue, actually, because... We ended up buying a system, a CRM system, after I saw you yes. present back at BT. But one of the things I learned from doing that implementation was how everyone thought the system was going to be the answer to life, the universe, and everything. You know, when we get that in, we're, you know, the world's going to be different. And clearly it wasn't. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> you still have to do the work. You still have to do the work. Yeah, no, know? absolutely. Good. Okay, so uh, let's wrap this up. Um, I'm sure people will want to get in touch, Don. So how is it best that people get in touch with you? Well, first of all, I respond to everybody on LinkedIn, Don Peppers on LinkedIn, and I'd be delighted to connect with anybody. But you can also email me at dpeppers, with an S, dpeppers at cxspeakers.com. Cxspeakers is all one word. CX, dpeppers at cxspeakers.com. CX Speakers LLC is the business that Martha Rogers and I founded recently. Uh, we sold Peppers and Rogers Group to T-Tech, business process outsourcer in Denver. We worked for them for a few years and then we've both left. Right. And uh, CX Speakers LLC is the business unit that we operate under today. Great. And well, if, if you uh, haven't heard Don speak, then make sure that you do. Thank you, Colin. So thanks very much, Don, for your time. And um, thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.